Y'all ready for this? All right, here we go. Church, looking good. Grab your Bible. We're going to be in the Song of Solomon for the next 10 weeks. Song of Solomon. If you need a Bible, grab one. There should be one right in front of you, open to the middle of the Bible. You'll be really close, Song of Solomon. We're going to be there for 10 weeks. Um, <clears throat> Song of Solomon is a, uh, a con- throughout church history, it's been very confusing. Some theologians, <clears throat> excuse me, have tried to um, handle this allegorically to say like, it's not actually a love story between a man and a woman, but it's really Jesus and his church. If that's the case, it gets really weird in some places, and uh, that's not my relationship with Jesus, so I think that that's not how we should look at this. It's, we're going to look at it just literally, <clears throat> and part of the reason that we're going to spend some time here is because I need you to know how good is our God that he would give us a book in the Bible about your love life. It's only the most important relationship that you'll have on this earth. Because I don't care how your football team's doing, how your stocks are doing, or what your handicap is. If it's not good at home, it just isn't good. And so we serve a good dad that wants good things for us. And your relationship, whether you have a love life or you had a love life or one day you'd like to have a love life, then this is important for you. And so we're going to walk through this for the next 10 weeks um, through the Song of Solomon. Today we're going to talk to men. And so... um, Talking about how to be a godly man, what the Bible has to say about being a godly man. And uh, so I don't want to see, hear any uh, high-pitched amens, or I don't want to see any elbows. Ladies, keep your hands to yourself. Next week, you'll get yours, all right? Next week, I'm going to talk about how to be a godly woman. I have no experience there, but I'm just going to read it out of the book and tell you what it says. <clears throat> but men, today, this is for you. And I'm going to do my best to not just beat you up, but I have a tendency to just lean in that direction when I preach. I don't know why. That's just how I am. Um, But that's not my goal. My goal is actually to encourage you to be the godly man that God has called and commanded us to be. Um, Also, part of the reason I'm going to teach this is because I've been married for 14 years, and I want you to have what I have. It's not perfect. I'm a selfish man. My wife can get a little hot-tempered sometimes, you know. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that later also. But... I, um, man, it's just better than I ever dreamed it could even be, and we're 14 years in. And so uh, I want you to have what I have, and a part of the reason I have that is because of what Christ has done in us and through us, and we've tried to do it according to the Word of God. Also, we, I have to deconstruct a lot of ideas around men and women and dating and all of that in our current context, because in our culture, um, too many of you have bought into the myth of the one, one, one. And when I just meet the one, then we'll live happily ever after. And Paul said, when I was a child, I thought like a child. But when, I'm a, when I grow up, I put childish ways behind me. And so what a lot of people do, especially young men, <clears throat> is they, they really treat women like a commodity. They're like selfish boys that can shave, that they just take, 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 that they, they hook up, shack up, and break up, and just do that two or three or four or five or six times in a row, and then think, but when I meet the one, somehow I'm going to fall madly in love with her, and this trajectory that I have been on that leads to selfishness, I'm going to be able to somehow shift gears and all of a sudden be this godly husband that I've wanted to be my whole life. And that's just ridiculous. That would be like if, if playing football and saying, Coach, I know I fumbled the ball every single time you've given it to me in practice, but now when the game's on the line, give it to me in the game, and I promise I won't fumble. No, Coach in his right mind is giving you the ball. 
Or if you took your life savings, imagine this, you took your life savings and you went to a financial investor and say, okay, I'm going to take all of the money that I've ever saved and I want you to be my investment guy. So how have, how have your past investments gone? And he was to look back and say, well, everybody that I've ever invested for, we've lost everything. Well, well, currently, how are you doing? Well, right now, as I open up the portfolios of all of my clients, we're all on a downhill slide. But I really like you. You're special. We've got a chemistry here. I think we'll be different. And so the greatest determining factor of your future is your past and present. And so, men, if you want to be the godly man that God has called us to be, then you've got to get on that track now. Especially the younger you are, the better it is to hear this message. And so here we go. Here's who's not going to like the whole Song of Solomon series. If you're a serial dater, then I'm going to come after you with everything I'm made of. You're going to hate it. All right, you'll be at somebody else's church next week or you'll repent. And uh, those will be your options. Um, also, if, you, if you've taken the fun out of fundamentalism, okay, if you can't laugh at yourself and, and enjoy, you know, just what the Bible says, then you're not going to enjoy this either, but you're probably not even here yet. The music got too loud for you already, and you probably left. So <laughs> now that it's just us, uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 1, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. This is like the greatest hit. It's, it's a love story between Solomon and the Shulamite. They're going to sing love songs to one another. If you're my age, then this would be a mixtape. For those of you under 20, see, we used to have these things called cassette tapes. And you'd have to like actually get your journey songs. All journey songs weren't good. And you had to like transfer. Never mind. It's like a playlist, okay? It's like a playlist. It's what it is. And then verse 2. It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I had Gretchen memorize it in four different translations. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Praise the Lord. That's how it starts. <laughs> Ladies, we're going to talk to you mostly next week. But just to give you a little, a little uh, insight here. Notice, you're going to notice all throughout the book, Song of Solomon, married ladies, that... Um, that she is aggressive, that she is aggressive. It's not like when they get married that you go offense, defense. You know, he's trying to score and she's trying to prevent scoring. That's not the biblical standard. <laughs> Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So she's aggressive, but she lets him pursue. He's the one doing the kissing. For your love is better than wine. Verse three, your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Men, get out your notes. Here's what we did. I wrote out the notes for you because I knew that you were too cocky to write your own notes, right? Because I know you're all bowed up like, I got this. I don't have to write anything down. All right, Scooter. So I wrote it down for you. So get it out. And we're going to go verse by verse. I even put the verses by it. So later you can look this up. And wives, please don't add to it and then say, you might. I highlighted a few for you. Okay, we're not going to do that. First and foremost, be a godly man. Where it says your name is oil poured out. He's a man of Christ-like character. It literally in Hebrew says your name is purified oil. Well, listen, if you don't know Jesus, then your name is not purified oil. If you don't know Jesus, you're a wretched, black-hearted sinner. You're an enemy of God. You're dead spiritually. That your name is tarnished. It's not good. And so in order to be a godly man, first and foremost, we got to start with the basis. You got to know God. And the only way to know God is through his son, Jesus Christ. And so for you to have character, for you to have your name, your reputation to be like purified oil, then you have to, you have to take the sins that, that you have committed, heap them upon the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And when he died upon the cross, he paid for your sin. And for anybody that surrenders their life to the lordship of Christ, our sin is put on Christ and his righteousness is put on us. 
So first and foremost, before we talk about what he looks like and what he does for a living and about his game, none of that is important if his name is not oil poured out. So first and foremost, you got to know Jesus. In fact, listen, if you don't know Jesus, I don't know how to tell you to be married. I'm not saying you can't be, but the Bible says submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so if you don't revere Christ, there's no way in the world, men, you're going to be able to serve your wives like Christ served and loved the church. And so it starts and it's rooted with Jesus. The Bible says that you should not be unequally yoked. You shouldn't be unequally yoked. That means that a Christian and a non-Christian really are not meant to be together. And here's why. Because at the core of the Christian, they have decided that Jesus is my Lord. And so if you're a non-Christian dating a Christian, then guess what? Then at some point, you're going to get to a fork in your relational road, and the Christian has already pre-decided, I'm going with Jesus, not with what you think. And in fact, if you're not a Christian and you're dating a Christian, I've got bad news for you. The Christian that you are dating, non-Christian, is being deceptive with you. Did you know that? They do not accept you for who, who you are. They actually want to change you to one of us. And you know how I know that? They brought you to church this morning, okay? So just trust me. Now, I would would hope to convince you to become one of us, surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, that your name would be oil poured out, and then then we can get to work. But if not, if you're not going to kind of join our team, then I would suggest to you, non-Christian, break up with your deceptive Christian boyfriend or girlfriend and go find an honest non-Christian to date. And then, I, I don't know, maybe we'll see you around town. Okay, here we go. So first and foremost, he has Christ-like character. And it says, therefore, the virgins love you. Well, the second thing, a godly man cultivates a good reputation. Godly man cultivates a good reputation. We've all been here before that one of our friends, you know, girls, this probably happens to you a lot. One of your girlfriends comes in and says, you'll never believe what happened. I was out on the beach today and I met this guy and he was awesome. And he came up and started talking to me. And then we exchanged uh, you know, Twitter accounts, and then we met for Starbucks, and we chatted there, and now we're going to go out this Friday night. I'm so excited. And then they go, oh, we're so excited for you. What's his name? And then they say his name, and your friends are like, oh, no. No, 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 no. Do you not, you haven't done your prerequisite Facebook stalking to see who you're about to go out with? No, no, no. This guy is a serial dater, okay? If you don't believe me, just ask her, and her, and her, and her. In fact, We've got a disciple group at our church that's just for the collateral damage of this one guy. So men of church of 1122, what's your reputation? What is your reputation? If you're a serial dater, stop it. Stop. You're not ready to date. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about this often. Listen, men of 1122, you are not looking for a girlfriend, right? You're looking for a wife. And so... Serial dating is unacceptable here. What is your reputation? Because a godly man, had, he cultivates a good reputation. Number, or verse 4. She says, draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. What's going to begin to happen all throughout chapters 1 and 2 is as he is a man of character and he's got a good reputation and you're going to see some more qualities of a godly man, the natural response of this woman is, let's go to the chambers. Now, what you will see here is that God never steps in and says, boo, how dare you feel that way? No, but it's not, there's going to be nothing physical until chapter 3 when they get married. And then you don't want to miss chapter 4. We're going to do a whole week just on the honeymoon. 
Can I get an amen? amen? Very deep amen there, wasn't it? Amen. Some of you first-time visitors are going, baby, I like this church a lot. All right. <laughs> Second half of verse 4, we will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. The third thing that a godly man does is a godly man is the kind of man that the friends and family approve of. Girls, if you're going out with a guy and the, and the people that are closest to you and have been closest to you for the last couple of years, if they don't approve, that is a major red flag. And especially if your parents do not approve, that is a major, major red flag. You know why? Nobody loves you and knows you like your mom and daddy. I don't care how old you are, they're still your mom and daddy. And they want what is best for you. I know they hopped off the fashion train decades ago, and sometimes you're like, no, nah, Dad, it's different now, you know. I, I, I understand that. But they know you and love you and want what's best for you. And so if the only way you and a guy can hang out is apart from the people that have meant the most to you recently, then that is a major red flag. And anytime I push on, especially if somebody, the teenagers are in their 20s on this, and, and, and they'll push back with, well, what about Romeo and Juliet? Okay, but do you remember how that one ended? Not good. That is not where you want your relational path to end up. My brother and his wife have been married for a few years, and one of the things that we say to her often, my family is obsessed with her, and here's why. She's great by herself. She's fine. But here's the thing we really love about her is we've told her over and over and over, um, this is the best version of my brother I've ever seen, and I've known him my whole life. That the more he's with you, the better he is. So even just selfishly as family members, we love you so much for what we get, what you do with this brother. You understand? <laughs> if you want to be a godly man, are the friends and family members of the person that you're pursuing or married to, do they say that about you? You see, because the friend and family members here, they approve. Now, verses 5 through 7, you're going to get a, ver a bunch of verses about her from her. We're going to spend the majority of our time next week on these verses when we talk about what it means to be a godly woman, but I'm going to go through them quickly. She says, I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem, like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon. Do not gaze at me because I am dark, because the sun has looked upon me. My mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards. By my own vineyard, I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like one who veils herself beside the flocks of the companions? So in other words, she's saying, hey, I know you're busy, king. You know, you're kind of running the whole kingdom here, but what are you doing about lunchtime? And so he says, verse 8, if you do not know, most beautiful among women, Follow the tracks of the flock and pasture your goats beside the shepherd's tents. Now, let me ask you this. Is it okay for you to notice someone and be attracted to them and then put yourself in a position to see them often? Yes. Yes. Ladies, we'll talk about this a lot next, next week. That's what you should do too, okay? If you see a guy and you say, hmm, I believe he looks like his, he might be purified oil, like if you were walking in here from the parking lot today and one of our ushers hands you a bulletin and you think, wow, that, you know, he looks like he might love Jesus and might be able to love me. And then you feel like the Holy Spirit might be stirring you to volunteer for our usher team. <laughs> Praise God. That's what she's doing. 
hey, I got some goats I need to take somewhere. How about I put them near, next to your sheep? We'll see what's happened. That's exactly what they're doing here. Verse 9, this is where it starts heating up. And fellas, this is where we need the most help. Verse 9, I compare you, my love, to a mare among the Pharaoh's chariots. Now, let me help you out here, boys, before you go home and call your wife Seabiscuit, okay? Let me just help you. <laughs> hey, baby, your face is like a horse. Especially now, nostrils all flared up, that one big eye looking at me. Whoa, calm down, baby, calm down. All right. So Pharaoh thought he was God, and he had a mare, a perfect white spotless horse, the perfect mare, and it would lead his processional where his chariot was. So if you were in town and this perfect spotless white mare would come into town, you knew that that Pharaoh was on his way. And of all the horses, this was the prized possession. This was the most important one. So the fourth thing that a godly man does is a godly man values her, values her. This this horse would have been the most important one. If you want to be a godly man, husbands, you love your wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That means you value your wife above everything else in this world. The only thing more valuable is your relationship with Jesus, but he's going to fuel you to be able to value her. The important question is, does she feel valued? Because listen, she's more valuable than your friends, more valuable than your money, more valuable than your job, more valuable than your dumb hobby. And here's the thing, you can replace all of those things, but there's only one her. She never should feel like she is competing for anything else in your world. And here's what I'm learning, folks. I've been, again, been married for 14 years, and here's what I'm learning. What you feel in here, fellas, is irrelevant. Because if I were to ask you, does your wife feel valued? You'd be like, oh, shucks, I'm sure she feels valued. I mean, I pay the bills. I do the weed eating, you know. What's not to value? Now, the question is, you got to ask her, does she feel like the most important thing in your world? And so it's not about what you have going on in here, but have you translated what's going on in here to her? See, just a couple weeks ago, we had this big event here at the church, um, and it was a thank you event for our serve staff. And if you're one of our more than 1,000 people that are on our serve staff, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are so important to me. I mean, without you, we don't have the church of 1122. Without you, it's, it's, I'm, I'm just a guy with a bullhorn on the street corner, okay? And so when we're doing this serve staff thank you event, this is very important for me, and I wanted to be there, and we had it scheduled for a Monday night, and I was scheduled to be there. And then our team got together and said, hey, it's going to work best for the folks if we move it to a Friday night. And when I look at my calendar, I go, oh, we got a problem because Gretchen's birthday dinner is already scheduled on Friday night. And so I had to lean into my team and say, hey, listen, as much as it pains me to miss that I'm I'm not going to reschedule my dinner. And Gretchen is all in on the Church of 1122. She's on our worship team. I mean, she is all in. And I could have even gone to her and said, hey, babe, listen, you know, this thing is so important and I really need to be there. So how about we just bump your, your birthday night to Saturday night instead of Friday night? Is that okay? But I didn't even ask. And you know why I didn't ask? Because you know what I think that communicates? Um, actually, you're not in the top slot. The church is. And so I'm going to put church first, and then I'm going to put you second. And you know what the, the big problem with that is? In Matthew 16, Jesus said that he would build his church. And in Ephesians chapter 5, he told me to love my wife. And so I have to, I have to choose day after day after day that I'm going to love my wife, and I'm going to trust Jesus to build his church. Are you valuing your wife? 
And let me tell you, I, I got some really great texts from men that I respect that are deacons here at the church that said, hey, way to, way to be a model of leadership there. And I just texted them back. I said, thank you very much, but I wasn't trying to be a model. I just love my wife more than I love you. And so I'm not going to switch those dates up. And so if you were to ask your wife, does she feel valued, what would she say? Verse 10, he says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. A godly man speaks kindly to his girl. A godly man speaks kindly to her. Guys, you got to open your mouth and you got to speak kindly. He says, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments and your necks in your neck with strings of jewels. Guys, are you complimenting your wife? And listen, when you compliment her, you've got to compliment her specifically. You look, I know it's going to be a shocker for you, okay? But you look fine. Do you know what? They don't take that as a compliment, all right? That he is specific. He talks about her cheeks, talks about her neck, all right? He is specific. And so if she's been getting ready and she comes out and says, how do I look? And your answer is late, that is not a compliment, okay? Look, I, I hope and I pray that the words that you speak to your wife, that you're speaking life into her. Do you know that Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks? Do you know that I, I hope and pray that you're not criticizing your wife? I sure do hope and pray you've never criticized her physically, all right? Because I don't care how long you've been married and what she looked like the day of your wedding, you ain't exactly the Tarzan you were back then either, all right, Hoss? So I hope and pray that you are speaking life into her. Proverbs 18, 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Do you know why some of your marriages are dead? Because you killed it with your mouth. You're killing her soul with your words. Fellas, do you realize that God put you in her life to be the loudest voice to echo what God says about her, that she is fearfully and wonderfully made, that his works are wonderful, and that she should know that full well? Listen to me, in a world of feminism, they wouldn't buy into this, but it's the truth. Your wife will be who you tell her she is going to be. You are the spiritual authority in that home, and you can either speak life into her or you can kill her with your words. I hope and I pray you're saying nothing but the best things to her, specifically complimenting her, telling her daily basis, not just that you love her, but what you love about her that you were speaking life into her. You're gonna see over and over and over again, all throughout Song of Solomon, the way they speak to one another. So I hope you're not criticizing her. I hope you're not criticizing her publicly or privately or correcting her, but that your words are life to her. So godly men speak kindly to their wives. Verse 11, the king says, we will make you Ornaments of gold studded with silver. The sixth thing a godly man does is a godly man pursues his girl. He pursues his girl, all right? One of the problems we have with the 20-year-olds here at the Church of 1122, fellas, is that you're just lazy. I mean, you're just lazy. You gotta put down the Xbox controller, get up off your assets, and go after the girl, okay? I mean, it's just part of it. You pursue her, and, but it's not just a single guy thing. It's also a married guy thing, too, is that we've got to continue to pursue, continue to pursue. Because oftentimes, you see, men, what, what we can have a tendency to do is be great hunters, all right? 
to be great hunters, to get all camoed out, study the game, find the environment, bag it, mount it, and then ignore it for the rest of our lives. That is not the biblical standard. See, he does whatever it takes to pursue her. Think of this. I know you're busy, fellas, but this is the king of Israel. And he is, he's saying, we will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. That word ornament can also be translated earring. This brother has his hot glue gun out and his bedazzle kit, and he's making earrings for his girl. Every guy in here, if you hadn't read it, you need to get this book, The Five Love Languages. The Five Love Languages, all right? You need to read it, all right? Get this book and read it. I know you'll be embarrassed to go to the bookstore. That's why God invented Kindle, so you can just download it and read it. And the premise of the book is that you and I, we have like a love tank, and it's easier to give and receive love when your tank is full, and your job is to fill the other person's tank, not worried about your own. And so... And we, and we tend to give and receive love like a language. So if I came home every day and an Italian told Gretchen that I love her, but she didn't understand Italian, one day she's going to say, well, why don't you love me? And I'm like, woman, I tell you every day, what's the problem here? Well, it doesn't matter what you're communicating. It matters what's being communicated. And so the five love languages are words of affirmation, physical touch, gifts, quality time, and acts of service. So I'm a words of affirmation and physical touch kind of guy. That means I want Gretchen to tell me I'm awesome while she's trying to make out with me, all right? The tank is full. As soon as the service is over, I'm going to walk down there and say, what would you think about the sermon? I don't want to hear the truth. I just wanted to tell her that was the greatest sermon I've ever heard in the history of the world. Is it a lie? I don't care. That's not the point. So I tend to speak my own language. I tend to tell her how amazing she is and beautiful she is while I try to make out with her and quote Song of Solomon verses. And she's thinking, see, Gretchen's an acts of service kind of girl. She's like, words are cheap. You really want to show me your love? Mop. Okay? Bathe a kid. Do a little laundry. Have a help with some homework. And so part of the way that you've got to pursue your girl is you become a student of her, figure out what her love language is, and then speak it and pursue pursue. Don't be lazy. Get to work. And so when you begin to do that, verse 12, these kind of things happen. What's going to happen in 12, 13, and 14 is she begins to kind of daydream a little bit. Verse 12, she says, while the king was on his couch, my nard gave forth its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet. I don't think I've ever said the word sachet before. A sachet of myrrh that lies between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. She is sit, sitting back and she is dreaming about her man because he's a man of character, because he pursues her, because he values her, because he speaks kindly to her. And so what she is saying here is that my man is sweet and I want him close to me. Husbands, when's the last time you think your wife has ever daydreamed about you? Just sat back and thought, oh, baby, I can't wait till he gets home. Yeah, don't ask her at lunch. It will ruin your day, all right? <laughs> but that's the natural reaction when you are being the man of God that he has created you to be. And so this, this little part where it says that he's a cluster of henna blossoms in the vineyards of Engedi. Um, Engedi was an oasis right in the mil- middle of this vast desert. And what she is saying about him is that my husband loves me so much, my man loves me so much, that he creates an oasis for me in the presence of this desert. Gentlemen, are you creating an oasis for your girl? I mean, when she thinks of you, does she think like more work or does she think like a mini vacation here? 
Because you, a godly man, will create this vineyard of Engedi for his wife. See, one of the things that has kind of surprised me about this whole church launch thing is the level of ministry that Gretchen is doing here. I mean, she's all in, but the, but the level of ministry that she is doing, it really exceeds my expectations by a long shot. You know, she sings on our worship team, but not only that, she disciples a bunch of girls, and not only that, especially recently, has been walking through just, just life with a bunch of girls that are in some really tough circumstances, and I know the emotional impact that it will have on her. And so a part of my job a part of my job is to create this oasis. And not only that, we got two small children at home. And so all of you moms know what I'm talking about here. It's kind of hard to get a day off, isn't it? When you got two little kids. Why? Because those little jokers want to eat almost every single day. So what are you going to do? Just be like, fend for yourself, kids. I'm, I need some Engedi. So what I've got to do is I've got to create that kind of Engedi for my wife. So just last week, I send her to the spa. Go, go. I got the kids, all right? I, they'll be dirty and messed up when you get home, but I got them for a little while. Or even in our home, say, look, look, kids, mom's going in the bedroom to just kind of hang out and relax for a minute. If you knock on that door, I'm going to tackle you and choke you out, okay? It's all got to come through me. Why? Because that's part of my responsibility. Husbands, you need to ask your wife, what is Engedi look like for you? And then create it. And then let me just give you a little hint, boys. Next week, I'm going to ask her that question. And fellas, we all have the same answer, okay? But in order for you to get the Engedi you want next week, you got to initiate and go first and get going on it this week. Verse 15. He speaks up. He says, Behold, you are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. A godly man focuses on her eyes. A godly man focuses on her eyes. Now, obviously he thinks she's beautiful. This is the fifth compliment that he's given her, but he hasn't gone below the neck yet. Every man in here needs to memorize Job 31.1. I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look lustfully after a woman. And that also includes your wife, husbands. All right? Now let me explain. You, first and foremost, you focus on her eyes. He says that her eyes are like doves, that she's beautiful. And so, he focuses from here up. Now, he doesn't stop there. When we get to chapter 4, we're going to go through the honeymoon, all right? And so, he's going to cover it all. Now, I grew up Southern Baptist, so we just did head, shoulders, knees and toes, knees and toes, all right? And you kind of skipped up. Most of the good stuff is between the, the, the shoulders and the knees, right? So, it's all good and it's all game. But where he's going to, while they're dating, he's just in her eyes. Why? Because... He doesn't treat her like a commodity. He doesn't treat her like a commodity. He doesn't just look at her and say, what can I get from you? I'm not selfish. I need to serve you. And so um, I actually, I want to look through your eyes into your soul so I can know who you are, not just take from you physically. And then what you do with a commodity is you buy it, you use it up, and when you're done with it, you discard it. And listen, that's the cultural rhythm that we live in. Hook up, shack up, break up, repeat. And then you wonder why, when you get into marriage, why there's a problem. A big reason you flee sexual immorality as a couple is because together, you need to overcome some temptation before you get married. And husbands, this applies to us too. We still look into their eyes first and foremost. She is not a sanctified prostitute. 
Just because you put a ring on it doesn't mean it's yours whenever you want. You better not be. If you're quoting verses out of 1 Corinthians 7 about a wife's duty, the game is over, brother. It is over. That you're still serving her and taking care of who she is before, before you even think about what you get from her. And so he stays focused in on her eyes. Verse 16, she says, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, true, de- truly delightful. Our couch is green. This means they're going on a picnic. They're outside. Verse 17, the beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. A godly man is financially secure. A godly man is financially secure. She looks at their relationship. She looks around where they are, and she says, our house is in order. She is thanking Solomon for being a hardworking man. Listen, young guys especially, you got to get up, get off the couch, put the Xbox controller away, and get a job. And I know you're pursuing your passion. Well, bless your heart. But until then, get a job. You don't get to get up and go to fun. You get up and go to work. And it is a godly pursuit. Now, I'm all for do the thing that makes you come alive. Yes and amen. And in the meantime, get a job and pay the bills and move out of your mama's house. Because part of the reason God's not going to give you a girl is because you're not ready for a girl. I mean, every girl in here, in one sense or another, is a daughter of God. And a good dad wouldn't let you go out with his girl. Why? Because you can't afford her yet. And she is worth affording. One of the most spiritual things that you can do is go to work and put some money in the bank and get your own place. In in Genesis, when God created Adam, the first thing he did is he placed him in the garden and he put him to work. It's a part of what we have been created to do is go to work. He said, subdue and cultivate. That meant go to work. Because I talk to some guys now, and they go, man, I'm, I want a girl. I'm like, dude, you're not ready for a girl. What would you do if God gave you a girl now? You live at your mom's house. What would you do if God gave you a girl? And then in that, you know, 20-year-old angst, like, oh, well, I know what I'd do if I had a girl. I'm like, all right, when that three minutes was up, then what would you do, <laughs> hoss? You're not ready. So get ready. Adam named all the animals. He got all of creation, his world, in order. And then God gave him Eve. Listen to what 1 Timothy 5, 8 says. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Is worse than an unbeliever. I talked to a guy on Thursday night, wanted to plant a church, right? And he's got some family issues. And he was talking about taking a residency at this thing. I was like, look here, brother. You take care of your family first. And you honor, you honor the authority that God has given you there. And then, and then watch the responsibility flow as you are obedient to the authority that you already have. And so, fellas, you take care of your house. Take care of your house. And I know, I know, I know. You know, you're like, hey, the Beatles said all we need is love. And then they broke up. See, you need more than love. That love demands action and that you are financially secure. Because listen, men, girls want to marry a man and make babies. They don't want to marry a baby and try to make a man. And so godly men, godly men go to work. Chapter 2, verse 1, she replies, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. This is so important. That a godly man, a godly man builds her esteem. The last chapter, you know what she said about herself? Don't look at me. I'm not much to look at. 
We'll unpack that next week. But she basically said, I've had to work my whole life, and I have a farmer's stand. It makes me ugly. Everybody else is getting manis and patties, and I'm over here working in the vineyard, and i got a farmer's stand, and I'm embarrassed. One chapter later, what does she say about herself? She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. In other words, that she is improved by being with this man. You know what? One of the things, one of my goals in life, when they bury me, if Gretchen outlives me, I want her to be able to say, with all integrity, one of the smartest things I ever did was marry this man because of who I've become. Because my job is to subdue and cultivate. And that doesn't mean that we stop at the subdue. Because, guys, we can, we can kind of cowboy up to subdue, right? I mean, go on those dates and eat all that frozen yogurt and watch all those stupid chick flicks and, you know. But when you subdue and she says, I do, then, then that's when the game really begins. That's when you continue to subdue and cultivate. Men, our job is to create the kind of environment where your wife can be the most sanctified version of herself. That she looks back and she says, I don't know where I would be if I haven't, hadn't married this guy. So if I were to ask your wife, how do you feel? What would she say? Would she say, I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys? Or would she say, well, really, I feel neglected. I feel tired. Because that is not God's design for her. That's not why God let you marry her. That a godly man, if you ask his wife, how do you feel? She says, better than I was. Better than I was. And so he continuously cultivates an environment that improves her esteem. Chapter 2, verse 2, as a lily among brambles, so is my love among the young women. Notice how he is consistent in in his words to her. A godly man is consistent, especially with the words. Again, Every guy I know, man, I mean, we can really get our, get our A game on, especially if we think there's going to be a payoff. But guys, a godly man is consistent with his words, that he consistently speaks life into her, not just on Friday night when the date begins because he thinks there might be a payday at the end of it, but on Friday morning and Tuesday morning and all throughout the week that there is consistency here with his words. Verse 3, I love this one. She says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. That a godly man makes her feel safe. That a godly man makes her feel safe. She says, I delight to sit under your apple tree. It does two things for me. There's provision, there's apples there to eat, and there's protection. I get to sit in his shade. Fellas, your wife needs to feel safe with you always. And first and foremost, that means safe from the bad guys, all right? Nobody's fussing at my wife in my, in my presence, all right? One time, years ago, it was a long time ago, we were out um, to watch a band, and this drunk guy bumps into Gretchen, calls her the B word, and I grabbed that little fellow's head and tried to squeeze his head off in the name of Jesus. That's what I did, okay? <laughs> and then for a second, I relaxed a little bit, let him say he was sorry, and then I cast him out like a demon, all right? And we were done. <laughs> Now, with no apologies, no apologies, all right? It's worth it. I'll start my prison ministry from the inside, all right? I think I can get out of it. Why? Because nobody's doing that to my wife. Nobody. She's going to sit in my shade. She is going to be protected. Now, some of you are a little wimpy guys. You might need to get a stick or a concealed weapon or something. <laughs> Work out, do something. 
Now, I don't think I have to spend a whole lot of time on that because we are the men of Church of 1122, so I think we know how to protect from the outside. But not only does your wife need to feel safe with you, but also from you. Does your wife feel safe in your presence? You know what that means? That means you don't raise your voice to your wife. You don't yell at your wife. You should never point a finger and grit your teeth at your wife. Never. That it is inexcusable to show any sign of aggression in the presence of your wife. That you get mad. No, absolutely not. And I'm telling you, and this is something I have to work on too. I have the worst temper in the room. All right, the worst temper in the room. That's why when, when we argue, I try to go calm. Because if not, I see red and go crazy, and I, I can't do that. And I'll just confess some sin to you. One time we were, um, it was a couple of years ago, we were on JTB, and we were arguing. And already G- JTB kind of makes me a little aggravated anyway. And I can't even, it's funny now, I can't even remember what we were arguing about. But I got so frustrated, which is just Christian for mad, all right, that I said, I can't, I can't remember exactly what I said, and I punched the steering wheel of the car. And then punched it, boom. And then it was immediate. It was sin, and I needed to repent of it. It's sin to show any kind of aggression in the presence of my wife. And because of God's grace in my life, he just wanted to point it out to me. And so when I hit the steering wheel, the horn went, and just stuck. And then Gretchen's just laughing at me, just laughing, which really calms a man down a lot. When they... And so then we, and so the people in front of us on JTV are like, hey, what's the deal, man? I'm like, no, nah, see, I'm sorry. It wasn't, I'm not honking at you. I sinned against my wife and against God, and then I punched, and I didn't repent. And so we pull off JTB, and we come down Hodges, and we caught every light all the way home. So every light we pull up to, we come up behind the car, and I'm like, hey, what's the problem, man? It's red. They're fussing at me. And I'm like, no, 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 see, it's not, I, I hit it, and then I got mad, you know, and I repented. I'm sorry, it was a sin, and I'm here, sorry, all the way home till we get home. I told y'all I got a long way to go, a long way to go. But it's inexcusable. It's inexcusable. And I think God did that to me so that I would know, uh-uh, we don't do this anymore, ever. Fellas, if you've ever raised your voice towards your wife, if you've ever shown any aggression towards her, God forbid if you've ever laid your hands on her, you repent, you repent, you repent. To her, you confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Because here's the thing, gentlemen. I want my wife to find all the shade she needs for me. She didn't need any shade from anybody else. She's got all the provision and the protection she needs in me and my house. And here's the thing. She will find it somewhere, guys. Even if she's a committed Christian woman and she is committed to your marriage, you don't want her committed to your marriage. You want her to love you. See the difference? And that she would delight to, to sit under the provision and the protection that you are providing. Verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. The twelfth thing is this, that a godly man is proud of her in public. He's proud of her in public. You know what this means? Friends with benefits is not biblical. Here at 1122, we don't have any undercover lovers. You understand? Girls, if your guy just wants to show up late and make out with you and leave and never wants to take you out, there's a major, major problem. He's treating you like a prostitute. He's just taking what he can get from you under the cover of darkness, but he doesn't want to walk with you in public. If that's the case, it is fourth and long. It is time to punt. He is not worthy 
to be near you. You let me know who he is, and I'll handle it from a church discipline standpoint. We'll go back to some of that shade tree stuff, all right? Because here's what I don't understand. Man, when I met Gretchen, and to this very day, I'm so proud. I want everybody to know who my wife is. I mean, every time she sings, like especially, especially when she sings like Revelation song, and everybody's just singing, love you, Jesus, with their hands up. I always want to come up and be like, y'all know that's my wife, right? Every single time. Why? Because... Because the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds what is good. And mine is real good. And I know that if I want to impress people, I don't talk about me because I'm not very impressive at all. I want you all to meet her. Because I know when you see her, you look at me and go like, wow, there is a God, isn't there? Like, I know. <laughs> in fact, one of the greatest compliments you can give to a godly man. I mean, I look, in, I look right into the face of men that I love dearly and I say, how the big old ugly gross, dumb, egg-headed joker like you marry such a godly woman. And you know what those men will say? They'll be like, I know I am kind of dumb, ain't I? <laughs> right? And you can never do it the reverse of that. You can never go to the wife and be like, how a scraggly old hag? Like, hey, why are you crying? No, it just won't work. And so men... He takes her to the banqueting house, and his banner over her is love. You know what that means? That means he opened the door. He pulled out the chair. That he didn't walk out in front and just let her lag behind, toting the kids. You know? When you show up here at this church, I hope and pray you're treating her like the queen. That you don't just hop out of your car and high-five all your buddies in here to get a seat while you make her go and check all the kids in. I hope you are, your banner over her is love. That love is an action. That love is about serving, sacrificially serving. That you love her like Jesus loved us. He dressed himself like a servant and washed his disciples' feet. That's how we are to love our wives. And his banner over her in this public place is love. And then verse 5, you don't even know what this means, but it's awesome. She says, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. You know what this means? See, if you were... uh, if you were an, an ancient Israelite, when she says, give me some raisins, you would laugh out loud. Because at this time, raisins were an aphrodisiac. It was like, it was like Viagra for women back in the day. Here's what they believed. They believed that if you ate raisins, it was full of seeds, and then the seeds would get in you, and you could make a lot of babies. So you know what's happening? In chapter 2, 1, through this verse in 5, he's pursuing her, he's valuing her, he's taking her out publicly, um, promoting her. He's a man of character. He loves her. He's kind with his words to her. And you know what she says? You know what her natural response is? Give me some raisins. <laughs> Amen. Now, here's what I love. You know, God will ne- God's never, in, in the whole book of the Song of Solomon, God never leans in on these times and says, how dare you feel that way about this man that's pursuing you? No. In fact, this is how God wired you. This is the progression. This is where it's supposed to to head, but only in marriage. We'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 6, it says, His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. So now they are dancing at this banqueting hall, and he's got his arms wrapped around his girl. This is a place of intimacy. Again, this is where it is supposed to go. You see, if you're dating somebody and you feel this attraction, and you want to, like she says, let's go to the chambers, that is a good and right feeling. You're on the right track. But the question isn't, where's the line? The real question is, when is the time? 
And sex is a gift from God for married people. Not going to be married, not used to be married, but in the covenant of marriage. And in fact, all throughout the Song of Solomon, kids are never mentioned. Which means God gave us sex for procreation, yes and amen, be fruitful and multiply. And also recreation, enjoy. Now, some people view, some people view sex as God. And that's not good. They worship it. This is kind of the culture that we live in. That it, it influences everything. And when you take a good thing and make it a God thing, that's a bad thing. Now, some people view sex as gross. Like, think the Puritans. You know, I, I guess we have to do it in order to make babies, but it's dirty, it's nasty, it's vile, and you must endure it. So save, the, save it for the one you love the most. You know, that kind of idea. That's not good either. The truth is, is that it's a gift. It's a good gift from God. I mean, you want to know if we serve a good God or not? He could have decided to reproduce people any way he wanted. Could have just given you an eBay account and you just order them. Or your toes fall off and, hey, look, we've got kids. No, but you know what he did? <laughs> it's a good gift, but only, only in the context for which he ordained it. It's like a fire. Is fire good? Yes. In the proper context. It can warm your house. You can make s'mores around it. It's awesome. You pull it out of the context of a fireplace and it can burn your whole neighborhood down. And so they're heading in this direction and then look what happens in verse 7. The man speaks up, I, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. That a godly man sets the sexual standard. Guys, many of you have been abdicating this responsibility. If you're a single guy, if you're dating a girl and you love Jesus, it is your responsibility to set the standard. And not say, where's the line, but to say, when is the time? And the time is after the covenant of marriage. We're going to spend an entire week on fleeing sexual immorality. And sexual immorality is any sex outside of marriage. And marriage in the Bible is between one man and one woman till death do us part. In 1 Corinthians 13, the first description of love is this, that love is patient. So if you're not being patient with her, then guess what? You are not loving her, regardless of what you feel like. And sex outside of marriage every single time will damage a good relationship or prolong a bad one. Today, when this service ends, we get to do something amazing. On Wednesday, this couple shows up into the lobby here at the church and says, we, we want to get married. We're like, great, we Marry a lot of people. In fact, I got six weddings this weekend. And so love is in the air here at the Church of 1122. And I'm like, all right, when do y'all want to get married? And the guy says, I'm like, Friday. All right, give me a little more, Hoss. What's going on? And this is, I mean, it's just incredible. He says, well, um, my girlfriend and I have been living together for about two years. And about a year ago, we started attending the Church of 1122. And we surrendered our lives to the Lordship of Christ. And then we begin to rationalize it and think, well, we love God, we love each other, so God must love it that we're shacking up. And then after the lust sermon uh, a few weeks ago during the Seven Deadly Sins series, we realized we've got this thing out of order. And so we went back, looked through the Bible, and sure enough, we're not doing this right. So for the past three weeks, I've moved out of my room and I've been sleeping on the couch. And so I went and we got our marriage license and Duval County makes us wait three days. And so Friday is when we can get married and so I've been on the couch since then, so will you marry us? And I said, absolutely. Absolutely. As a church, we're trying to do things to fuel your obedience, okay? And I said, well, I can't. we kind of looked through my schedule, and I said, well, how about Sunday? Sunday works better than Friday. He's like, I'd really like Friday. I'm like, well, <laughs> love is patient there, all right? 
And so after this service, we're going over to the sanctuary and we are, we are entering into a covenant so they can make this thing right. Now, I've, I've had some religious people have found out and they're pushing against me and saying, are you condone people living together? No, 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 no. We're redeeming it. Just like Jesus did for each and every one of us. Amen? So you know what this man did? This man in his home, he took responsibility to say, I'm going to set the standard. He's not going to abdicate leadership, but he was going to actually lead. And then you get to verse 8. We got a cruise. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains and bounding over the hills. What he's going to do is he's about to go take her out on a date. This is what he's doing. Gets all dressed up and he's going to take her out on a date. Now, can I just say this, young single man? Can you just ask her out? Not Facebooker, not Twitter, okay? Not a text, but can you just go to her face to face, all right? If you're 25 and older and you got a job and you love Jesus, get to know her name and ask her out, all right? And, and I don't understand what the problem is, okay? That, that you've just got to, again, put the Xbox controller down and go and do this thing face to face. Hi, I'm, and then say your name. And then if you're an 1122 or what I would do is I'd take your Bible and your wallet and I would say, I'm reading this, I'm working on this. Can I take you to dinner? That's what I would do. And during our worship times, when people worship with their hands up, just peek at the left one. And if she's game, then go for it, brother. You understand? And I'm telling you, from my perspective, I wish you could stand up here. It is a target-rich environment. There are a lot of godly women that are just waiting to be pursued by a godly man. And so this man just takes her out. The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds what is good. And I talked to a bunch of, a bunch of young bucks around here. They're trying to over-spiritualize everything. They're like, well, I'm just praying and waiting on the Lord. and God, just send me a woman. That's not what the Bible says. It says, he who finds a wife. You don't treat lunch that way. You don't say, dear God, I'm so hungry. Would you please send me a burrito? No, you go hunt. Verse 9, my beloved, is like a gazelle or a young stag. That just, that word means stud. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows and looking through the lattice. He's not a peeping Tom. He's just showing up to pick her up for a date. Verse 10, my beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. Check this out. That he actually plans a date. Husbands, he actually plans a date. A godly man grows the relationship through dating. Got that? Listen, fellas, this is not what happens. He doesn't pick her, and I'm talking to me too. He doesn't pick her up and say, all right, where you want to go? Well, I don't care wherever you want to go. Well, it doesn't matter to me. Well, where you want to eat? Well, let's eat there. Well, I don't really like that place. Well, I don't care. Well, listen, here's what she wants you to do. She wants you to lead. She wants you to lead just like you do at work. You know how at work, you call everybody into the meeting. You go, give me the information. Okay, Johnson, give me the report. Buy, sell, ready, break, go. She says, well, if you do it at work, why can't you do it at home? Why can't you just call and make a reservation, all right? Listen, do a little mining early. Say, hey, babe, what are your top three favorite restaurants, all right? Jot that stuff down. Download Urban Spoon, the app, all right? Put it on shake. Pick what it says by the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever it takes, but plan some stuff. And then say, I'm picking you up at this time. And then, fellas, take a shower, all right? 
You don't want to smell like two cycle oil when you're trying to take her out. Put on a shirt that has buttons. There should be no team logo located anywhere on your person. And then take her out somewhere on purpose. And that's for the married men. For you guys that are dating, state your intentions. Dating should not take seven years. You understand? State your intentions. Tell her, I'm not looking for a girlfriend. I'm looking for a wife. So we're going to spend a little time together. And that's what I'm looking for. Now, girls, you got to give him a little time. All right, the very first time he calls, he goes, hey, I was sitting behind you in church, and I kind of Facebook stalked and got your number in. So I wanted to know if you were going to, wanted to go to dinner. Don't wear him out. Don't be like, well, I want to be married by March. You know, just <laughs> throttle back a minute. Sometimes guys are like turtles. When you poke and prod them, they just kind of disappear, okay? So <laughs> I want to kind of encourage him. And listen, men, none of us have an excuse, okay? Some of you old guys... See, you didn't, have, you didn't have God's common grace that we have now. Some of you old guys, you get a pass because you didn't know if the date was going to be a good one or not, right? You're like, well, the monster truck seemed popular. I don't know why she didn't love it. But today, God has given us Google. So just put your safe search on and go romantic dates on a budget and just God's going to give you some wisdom there and then apply it, apply it, apply it. And you single guys, state your intentions. Single guys here at the Church of 1122, quit flirting with the emotions of our girls. Either pursue or go back to World of Warcraft. Those are your two options, okay? But dating is not a sport. You either pursue or you aren't, aren't ready to be a husband. So that's what he does. He picks her up. He says, I'm going to grow this relationship through dating. Verse 13, the fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rocks, and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Do you see how tender he is? Now, by the way, ladies, you got to help him out, okay? Because listen to what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit right now is stirring in your man to try to do better. And so when he tries, can you, can you help him out a little bit? Because he's not Shakespeare, neither is he Solomon. And he's going, on the way to lunch today, he's going to try to speak tenderly to you. But he's not a poet, he's a plumber. And so when he's like, baby, you're like a, you're like a monkey wrench. You just be like, baby, that's the sweetest thing you've ever told me. Right? Just Hercules, Hercules. Whatever he does, just cheer him on. He's like a puppy. If you reward him, he'll repeat it. All right? So... Verse 15, he says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. We're going to spend a whole week on how to fight, and essentially, a godly man leads through conflict. We're going to spend a whole week on how to fight fair, all right? And so what they're saying, though, it's me and you together, and we've got some foxes in our garden that we've got to get rid of. So I'm not going to spend any time on that, because we're going to do a whole week on it. Verse 16. My beloved is mine and I am his. See, you're moving from me and you to us. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn my beloved like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft mountains. Literally, in Hebrew, it says, on the mountains of Bether. The word Bether in Hebrew means separation or twins. If you look through the geography of ancient Israel, there are no mountains called Bether. Do you know what she's saying? She's saying exactly what I'm implying. She is saying, come on home, honey, and make your home between 
the cleft mountains. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. A very loud, hearty amen. Now, fellas, you don't just get to skip to Beether. I know we all don't want to end up there, all right? We're going to talk about it for 10 weeks. But the way you get there is that you be the godly man that God has called you to be. And then the natural response of your wife is her response. And so here's the point. There's a verse in Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, and 14, man, I'd love for you to memorize this verse. It says this, be watchful. In other words, hey, guys, this is important. Pay attention. Be watchful and stand firm in faith. Like, you better put your faith in Jesus. You don't have the power to pull this off on your own. You'll fail again. But with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you can do this. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, and act like men. Like, put your manhood to action. Don't just think like a man. Don't just feel like a man. But act on these things. Love your girl like the Bible says. Act like men. Be strong. And let all that you do be done in love. Church of 1122, it's time that the men stand up and act like men. Stand up and act like men. So if you're ready to stand up and act like a man here at the Church of 1122, I want to invite you to stand up right where you are. To stand up right where you are. Because we live in a culture where it's not easy to be a man. I mean, think of one sitcom where the husband is the hero. But we're just a bunch of babbling fools in this culture. And in fact, we live in a culture that wants us to apologize for being who God created us to be. And ladies, let me tell you this. We need your help. We really need your help. We need your prayers. We need your support. We need your encouragement. But these are the men of the church of 1122. And here's what I have to say to us, men. Men of the church of 1122, it's time that we shift the current culture of what it means to be a guy. Because we are men. It's time that we passionately love Jesus, that we pursue our wives, and that we provide for our families. My intention is not to beat you up on your shortcomings, but it is to unleash in you that godly man that the Lord desires for you to be. The cross demands it, our families need it, and by the the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do it. Amen? Amen? And now the ladies around, go ahead, you can cheer if you're going to cheer. And to the wives and to the daughters and to the friends around, would you just reach out and maybe grab a hand or put your hand on the shoulder or elbow of a man near you and would you please join me in prayer? Dear Father in heaven, Lord, I thank you so much that you loved us enough that you became a man, the perfect man. The man that loved passionately. The man that was tough when he needed to be tough and yet tender with the brokenhearted. The man that spoke truth but always in a way that was full of grace. God, I pray that we would be those kind of men. God, I pray for marriages in this place, broken marriages that are in this place. God, would you heal them? And God, may it start by men being godly men, by bending their knees and being humble before you. And then, Holy Spirit, you filling us up to be who you have called and created us to be. God, I pray for the single men of the Church of 1122. God, I pray that they would stand up and act like men. That when they were young, they thought like children. But Lord, that now that they are older, they would put the childish ways behind them. They would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for the women in this place. God, that they could be who you intended them to be. Because the men were the godly men that you have called us to be. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you would comfort people in the areas of their life where relationships between men and women have caused great pain. God, I thank you that only you can draw us from those places. 
God, we can't do it on our own. We need your help. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? And would you help our men to stand up and act like men? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if everyone would please stand as we close. We're going to respond like we always do. We're going to respond by singing. We're going to respond by bringing our tithes and offerings to the giving boxes around. And some of you men, this is your opportunity to lead for the first time in a long time. Some of you men need to take your wife by the hand and lead her to the altar and stand up and act like men. Let us respond.